Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. Welcome, heartstrong, and I love to say this, family. Our scripture for the month of May, 1 John chapter 4, 15 to 19 from the ESV, and it reads, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also are we in this world. So there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Our overview, our summary for today, we're going to be looking at Genesis 38 and 39, with Genesis 38 seemingly seeming wildly out of place. However, this chapter is absolutely essential to the development of the argument of the book of Genesis. It occurs by design, fitting beautifully into the context. Genesis 37 has explained how Joseph, and so the entire nation of Israel, wound up in, in Egypt rather than Canaan. Genesis 38 tells us why this Egyptian sojourn was necessary. Genesis 38 provides a backdrop against which the purity of Joseph in Genesis 39 stands out more plainly. Genesis 39 and following chapters describes not only the price which Joseph had to pay for the sins of his brothers, but how successful Joseph becomes because the Lord was with him. Genesis 38 suggests some of the consequences of the sin of Joseph's sale, which Judah suffered. Genesis 38 is then a story about God's relentless pursuit of the promises that he made back in Genesis 12 to Abraham, and to a greater extent, the promise he made to all of us in Genesis 3.15. God promised a serpent-crushing seed of Abraham that will, be a, that will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, and he will move heaven and earth to ensure that this will happen. So Genesis 38 is a reminder that God's will shall always be done. It is also a reminder that God does not choose anyone based on their own merit. God chose an idolatrous old man to begin a nation in Abraham. And God chose a greedy, brother-selling, prostitute monger who was both father and grandfather to be the ancestor of King Jesus. Genesis 38 again reminds us how depraved and wicked we are and how completely gracious God is and how his will for a serpent crushing seed of Abraham will be king of kings and lord of lords. 
In short, these two chapters show just how faithful God is, how he is both merciful and righteous, and that he is a covenant-keeping God. And just like Rana had said yesterday, everyone say covenant-keeping God. Amen. Let's pray and open up. Father, we always have an incredible blessing when we open up your word. And so this morning, as we dive into your word and reading two chapters that may not seem like they're fit together, yet they're, they're, they work together perfectly. So thank you for the insights, the truths, what you're going to drop into our hearts as we read and study this morning. And today, we just ask that you would be with us and open our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, buckle up. We're about to embark upon a journey of the young and the restless. Maybe I'm dating myself because I never watched Young and Restless, but Young and Restless had enough drama for from here to kingdom come. So we've got a couple chapters with that happening here. So there's a ton of incredible content with lots to debate, discuss, dialogue, and digest. So as we read and watch this story unfold, I'm going to pull out a few things for us to ponder as we reread. So let's begin in chapter 38. And it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and went into her. Now the Canaanites are the cursed descendants of Noah's son Ham. And they're not worshipers of God. And Judah would have certainly have known this. So for him to leave his family, to leave his brothers, is a willful decision, literally to walk away from Yahweh and what he knew. They say the age of Judah in and around this time could be anywhere between the ages of 15 to 17. So she conceived and bore a son. Notice whose name calling here of the children. So she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. And he, he was at Chezeb when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Now, we don't know the reason for why God killed him, but I don't think we can override God's justice and sovereignty thinking like, God, why would you simply kill somebody? We leave that to God. That's why he's God. And Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he admitted on the ground lest he, he should give her an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. It's, it's possible to think that Judah thought Tamar was the problem not really thinking that it was his own boys that were the problem. Now, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. 
And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adolamite. Interesting note here that Judah loses three members of his immediate family, all relatively young. I wonder if he's starting to think about, should I have left my brothers and gone to a pagan land? Uh, and it was told to Tamar saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep. Now, sheep shearing was a time known for celebrating. It was after a season that had ended. It was very festive and likely a time where, like my grandmother would say, nothing good happens after midnight, only shenanigans. So you can take shenanigans and fill whatever you want in there. And that's what was going on during this sheep shearing time. So Tamar is setting herself up to catch Judah in a plot, so to speak. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself. And she sat in an open place, which is on the way to Timnah. The ESV and some other versions read, and sat at the entrance to Enam. The meaning of Enam is opening of the eyes. It's interesting to note that Judah's mother, Leah, had weak, delicate eyes. I wonder if this was something passed on to, to Judah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife, as was promised in a few verses earlier. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her, by the way, and said, please, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. Some of the commentaries said that she covered her face in such a way that it was only her eyes that were showing. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her, he went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adelamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he, being Hira, asked the men of that place, saying, where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, interesting what Judah is saying here. He's more concerned about his reputation, I think. Let me take her, let, let her take them from her, for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat and you have not found her. And it came to pass after three months, three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And when she brought, was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, by the man whom this belong, to whom this belongs, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose they are, the signet and cord and staff. This is the pivotal moment in Judah's life and in journey. So Judah acknowledged them and said, 
she has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Shalah, my son, and he never knew her again. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one hand put out the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this is, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through this breach be upon you? Therefore, his name was Perez. Afterward, his brother came out and had scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Interesting, another interesting note, the last time red was referenced concerning twins, Jacob and Esau, Judah's father and Judah's uncle. I want to read a, a portion of a commentary by Chelsea Harmon, who's an, an ordained minister out in um, CRC, uh, pursuing her, her doctorate. And this is what she wrote about Judah. Judah willingly gives up personal items of authority and identity to be able to feed his carnal, selfish desires. Finally, he feels no shame when he demands that his daughter-in-law be put to death for the shame she has brought to his family, even though he's the one that has shamed their, their family by not leading them in ways of righteousness. When Tamar returns his belongings to Judah, and tells him to recognize to whom they belong, God's humbling actions all finally click in his mind and heart. God gave Judah over to his sinful ways, and Judah indulged until he finally realized how far away from God and his true identity had gone. Fortunately, God stood at the ready to receive and redeem his story. Even without a prayer of repentance, we can see that Judah has repented and been redeemed by God in his realization. He has become a new man, marked by the fact that his carnal and selfish desires are no longer the controlling force in his life. At verse 26, it points to us that Judah never has sex with Tamar again. Instead of selfish desires, Judah makes decisions focused on preserving the family of God. The Joseph narrative shows us this new Judah and God's plan to use him to do right for God's people. Judah returns to his family of origin and to the ways of Yahweh. He becomes the family spokesman in dealing with the leader of Egypt they failed to recognize as their brother Joseph. When family unity is threatened later on in chapter 44 of Genesis, instead of letting his brother Benjamin be forced into slavery, as he did with his brother Joseph, Judah is willing to sacrifice himself to keep his family intact. And in Genesis 48, 8 to 12, Joseph blesses Judah's son on his deathbed, declaring that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Judah and his descendants become a strong, become strong in a line of preserving and leading God's people all the way to Jesus, the lion of Judah. From one quick to abandon the life and people of God, to one who repented and was changed, learning from his life experiences of God's will and humbled by God's grace and mercy, Judah became not just one transformed by God, but an agent of blessing for God. That, I want to share that commentary because I was struck about Judah's transformation when we see some crazy and 
unwise decisions that he had made. Let's read in Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. A quick note here on Potiphar. This group that he led, captain of the guard, was an elite courageous band of rugged men. The Jewish historian Alfred Erndeshem describes this group by telling us that Potiphar was the chief of the executioners. Needless to say, Potiphar was no one to fool around with. And I bring that out because later on, when his wife makes an accusation, I want to make a comment there. Verse 2, the Lord, and in your translation of Bible, read what the next few words say. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Oh. And it's almost like this is thrown in, like kind of slipped in. But Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. In Genesis 29, 17, it reads the exact same thing about Rachel, Joseph's mom. But Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Judah gets his mother's eyesight, Leah, and Joseph gets his mother's look, Rachel. And it comes to pass after these times that his wife's master cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. After these things, these things are referring to, uh, to the blessings that have resulted as Joseph's sake in the Egyptian's house. So Potiphar's wife is recognizing there is something significant, not just in looks about Joseph, but there's something significant about him. So there's some key words you want to take a look at in verses 8. But he refused and said, so that's a formula of how we can overcome sexual temptation and sin altogether. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How is Joseph able to say no? Well, there, there's two reasons that we can see. One is his loyalty to his master. He's, his master has entrusted all of this to him and his loyalty to God. And I love that Joseph recognizes God in the end, because God really does have the final word. Verse 10, so it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Do not heed 
is literally, it's translated or said in another way, Joseph did not obey her or listen to her to lie with her or to be with her. Unlike our future story we're going to read about Samson, Samson, when Delilah vexed him day by day, finally gives in and gives the secret to his great strength. Joseph shows incredible restraint. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. I'm not too sure if Potiphar's wife could be any more direct with her desire to have sex with Joseph. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Joseph is giving us a very clear picture of what we need to do when it comes to sensual sins. Let's take a word sensual away and just say a very clear picture of what we need to do when it comes to sin. Flee and run. We cannot reason with sin. We cannot think about it and claim verses. We have to flee. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he had heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. This is the second time Joseph has been wronged by someone who uses his clothes to lie about him. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. That earlier note I talked about about Potiphar, Potiphar is not somebody you mess around with. This is my own observation, so I'm not going to apply this to saying this is what the case was. But I'm curious, did Potiphar did not have an, an inkling that maybe his wife was not telling the truth. Here we have a, a woman who's pursuing a young, handsome man. She seems to be completely distracted by Joseph, and her husband pays, is not paying any attention to her. He's, he's more interested in work and what he's going to have for a meal. So she becomes so caught up in lust of pursuing Joseph. And he was there in the prison. Here's that word again, but. And in your translation, whatever it says, read these next few words. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. It has been said behind closed doors, when no one sees you, 
or when no one is watching is when integrity is formed. If we read back in verse 11, it says, none of the men of the house was inside. Joseph is literally inside behind closed doors. And the only temptation that is there is Potiphar's wife. He could have done something and nobody would have known it. Yet he refused and he ran and fled. So that comes to the reading of our verses. A couple thoughts I just want to share with you. What sets Joseph apart is his character. There's no doubt about it that Joseph had at heart. He was sold into a country completely foreign to all that he knew. Didn't know the language, the culture, the food, the mindsets, the godlessness. Yet he somehow learned and was a quick study and became so proficient that Potiphar did not concern himself with anything that was under Joseph's care, except what he was going to eat. That expression of one step forward, two steps backward, seems to be Joseph's calling card. He starts out being openly favored by his father, Jacob, then unwisely tells his brothers about his dreams of them all bowing down to him. Plotted to be killed, but saved by being put in a pit, sold into slavery in Egypt, gains incredible favor with Potiphar, trusted above every any other Egyptian as a foreigner, no less, only to be falsely accused of rape, thrown back into prison, and once again finds favor. <laughs> One step forward, two steps backward. Growing up, Joseph was a role model that I tried to model my life after. It was his character, his integrity, his patience, his loyalty to God, his choosing of sexual integrity over self-gratification, his ability to bring blessings upon ungodly households, his ability to interpret dreams, never once fighting the injustices made against him, being able to forgive and to recognize what was meant for evil towards him, God had meant it for good. His biblical account often inspired me to attempt to live my life in a similar fashion. Joseph spent a fair bit of time in a pit, in slavery, and in jail. Yet we never read of him asking or even suggesting, why me, God? He was anchored in some way. Something held him in place. Sure, maybe it could have been a story he heard of from his grandfather or his father of Yahweh's faithfulness, or maybe it was his dreams that Joseph had. I believe we're actually given clues to what held Joseph. He was not alone. Four times we read, the Lord was with him. In Hebrews 13, 5, it tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are never alone. He is a covenant-keeping God. All of his promises are yes and amen. And you can take that to the bank. So can I just send you off with a blessing as you start your day? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we read and how sometimes it seems so distant and so far. Yet when we read what the scenarios that took place and have happened, we understand that it can apply to us and what we go through in our life. May we seek out those opportunities to walk in integrity. And may we seek out the opportunities to have a moment of revival in our lives. Lord, thank you for the protection and your safety on each one as they go about their day today. Watch over them. Keep them safe. Grant them favor, just as you granted Joseph favor. May they bring a blessing to wherever they find themselves, whether it's in the workplace 
or in the family. Bless them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together.